Welcome to Your Intention Matters, the podcast. My name is Paul Madot. Hope everybody's having a great day. Thanks for taking the time to be here. Uh, excited about this one. I have Simon Waters, Global GM, Power Rangers franchise out of Pasadena, California, just down the road from the Rose Bowl. Simon, welcome. Hey, Paul. Nice to meet you. Absolutely. Listen, thanks for being here. Say hi to everybody and a quick intro into who you are. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, my name is Simon Waters. Um, I'm currently at Hasbro as a general manager and senior vice president working on the Power Rangers franchise, which is an amazing franchise to be a part of. And I've been with Hasbro for nearly 10 years. Good. Well, listen, again, thanks for being here. You know, Simon, the, the podcast series is Your Intention Matters. And as we were just speaking about, that really stems from uh, everything comes from within, and most of us do not have a straight line, you know, career and a meandering path. And so uh, I'm interested in you sharing your story. So if you're ready to go, uh, I'm ready to get into it. You ready? Sounds good. Okay, here we go. I want to take you back. Let's go to 2001, University of Nottingham in the UK. Uh, you graduate with looks like politics, economics, history. Uh, do you remember when you graduated? Uh, what was your vision at the time? Where did you think you would be in 2020 if you can go back almost 20 years ago? Yeah. Um, well, I think I graduated in 91, not 2001, but I appreciate you making me much younger. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I, I've suddenly lopped off 10 years off my life. It's perfect. The, uh, you know, it's funny. I, um, I, I was really guided by my instinct and my gut, and that may or may not have been a good thing at the time, but it really what made me happy and what I would enjoy. So I chose politics. And when I left university, I know that I liked music. So I went into the music business and it wasn't a particularly calculated decision. Um, but in many ways, I trusted my instinct and it kind of paid off. So talk to me about that. How long did you um, establish yourself uh, on that side of the coin? Um, I was in the music business for about seven or eight years, and it was interesting. I started um, actually in retail um, with HMV when they were still around. Um, you may have, they were in Canada sure. for a while. They had a couple of stores in the US and a few hundred in the UK. Um, now gone into liquidation, I think. There, the brand has been bought out. But uh, at the time, it was a very vibrant scene in the in the nineties because CD was in its ascendancy. Um, so it was a great growth market. The music business was super, super strong. Um, and I actually ended up opening up a store as on their graduate program, fast track manager. Um, but I really didn't enjoy working in retail, directly in retail. It was, uh, it's a tough game if you've ever done it, um, actually being on the shop floor. I loved the experience. Um, but then I, um, I, I picked up the phone to the buying manager of HMV, who I'd struck a relationship with and said, hey, I'd love to come and be a buyer in central London in Soho on Wardour Street. And he said, let's make it happen. And I became a buyer and I loved being a buyer. <laughs> Why so? Um, in, in many ways, you know, I was I was young. I was given a boatload of cash, um, not in, not in a paper bag, but uh, I was given ten million pounds. This was at the time a budget to buy video. Um, I had to hit a margin, and 
off to the races. And it was such a great feeling of actually being able to call up suppliers and say, okay, I've got some money to spend here. I'm, uh, I'm buying video. And I bought video, promotional video for all their sales when you would buy, you know, three videos for 20 pounds or whatever. Um, and it was just such a great learning game in commercial hustle and trading. Um, you know, it was uh, pen and paper, a lot of it, deals done over the phone. It was great. Well, you know, I, I, people are, are listening to this, but they can't see that we can actually see each other. And I can see it in your face just talking about it, that it, it was a great experience. And, you know, working for HMV, I'll date myself as well, because I remember HMV very well uh, here in Toronto uh, in Dundas Square, which is the equivalent of a smaller version yep. of, of Times Square. Uh, the HMV had a flagship store. Still remember the address, 333 Young Street. And it was the place to be, I mean, really for a long period of time. And, uh, you know, they, they really came in and, and did a really great job. And so um, so glad to hear that you had a good run, you know, with HMV. And yeah. so so talk to me about uh, how you, I know that you worked at Disney. Now, let me, I, I got the 2001 incorrect with Nottingham. So let's see if I get this right. About a decade at Disney, give or take. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, how did you did you find Disney? Did they find you? Was it a was it an easy decision to join them? Was it a challenge? That, like, talk to me about where you were uh, when you decided to uh, you know join the Disney company. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, I was in the music business just at the beginning of the internet coming in, really sort of smashing it to pieces, and in a good way. And it was interesting. I, I I've always wanted to work for a brand working for artists and entertainers is great. You know, it's a, it's an incredibly creative business. It's a highly emotional business, but I wanted to work with a brand that had more structure. And I remember reaching out to a couple of recruiters and sort of getting that ball rolling. And then I got a call in the late nineties from Disney consumer products who are establishing a new retail division. And at the time, Disney consumer products was everything that was not in the store. So the Disney stores was a separate entity. This was right. everything else. And it was the very, very early days of Disney getting into that merchandising and licensing in a big way. And I said, this is a great opportunity. So having been a buyer and then having been a salesperson for Polygram, A&M Records and Bertelsmann BMG, I kind of had those two sides of the fence. In some ways, poacher turned gamekeeper, gamekeeper turned poacher. So going into a retail position where um, I was really tasked with opening doors at retail, going into Tesco, going into Asda, going into, at the time, British retail and saying, hey, we're the Walt Disney Company. We've never spoken to you before. Right. Um, let's do business. Okay, great. And so, you, you know, <laughs> the Walt Disney Company, uh, you know, one of the world's most valuable global brands uh, out there. Um, I know that you're in Pasadena right now, and as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, uh, you're from the UK, your accent, uh, you know, people think I have a Canadian accent, you clearly have a, a British accent. Uh, talk to me about your decision to come to the US, um, you know, because you're picking up your life and you're going across the pond. Yeah. I don't imagine that that was an overnight decision, and I imagine that there were a lot of factors into that. And so talk to me about uh, your decision to, um, to come to the West. Sure. You know, it's funny, you say it wasn't an overnight decision, but in many ways, it kind of was. Oh. And uh, yeah, and I'll, you know, I'd always had this, I guess you could call it vision, in some ways, a dream that I would live and work in America. Um, and so I had actually 
sort of teed that up to my boss at the time, who was an American, uh, an expat working here and working in London, that I would be very interested in opportunities in the US. And it's funny, careful what you wish for. You know, a few months later, he contacted me and said, look, we're going to be setting up some stuff up in um, in Glendale, in California, in the head office of Disney Consumer Products. Are you interested? And I basically said yes there and then, um, and then realized I should probably do a bit of negotiating and told my wife. But uh, yeah, it was it was a very quick decision in that respect. The actual moving and getting our lives together and putting it all effectively into a giant forty foot container that went from um, the south of England to Long Beach was was a big a big deal and it's not without some hey what are we doing but uh, it was actually quite a quick decision making process and my wife had spent a few days in LA before and we just said look it's an adventure if we don't like it we'll come back um 15 years later we kind of like it well listen i love the attitude because you're right if if it doesn't work out or if it's not for you you know get on a plane and, and figure it out right but why not give it a go yeah. Uh, and so, and here it is, 15 years later, did you say? You've been in, in the That's States? Right. Yeah. Okay. Has it always been Southern California? Yeah, always always SoCal, as we say. Yeah. Um, I, we, we love Southern California. We love LA. I think LA is a very misunderstood city, actually. It's, uh, you know, I knew it from my days of coming here on business and really saw LAX to downtown, which, you know, may not be the nicest journey on earth. But uh, once you get outside of the city, it's an incredible place. Okay, yeah. And, and I, I love Los Angeles as well. I'm there probably six times a year. It's a yeah. it's a great it's a great part of the Orange County in particular. I love as well. So. All right. So you're, you're working for, you know, w- w- one of the highly regarded global companies in the world. Uh, you leave the United Kingdom to come to the States and you move. Disney moves you, I presume. That's right. Uh, so I don't. Im- okay, now I, I thought that maybe it wasn't an easy decision to come to the U.S., but it was, or it sounded like. So, um, was it an easy decision for you to leave Disney? Um, yes. Okay. It was, and um, you know, it's funny. You sort of have to balance two opposing thoughts when you make decisions like this. One is comfort and status quo, which you know we can all say that we love change and we all love sort of facing the unknown. But the reality is, I think we all feel fear and we all recognize that. And, you know, I'd been at Disney for 10 years. I was comfortable, but that comfort also gave me an itch that I needed to scratch, which was don't get too comfortable. Mm. And I was learning, but I didn't feel I was learning or growing at the pace that I believe that I could. And um, so when Hasbro came a knocking and sort of approached me, it was the right timing um, the right part of you know my life and my career, and frankly, I think the right timing. Well, this is when Disney, if I recall the time, was just about to go through the acquisition of Marvel, um, and it was you know not to go too long off topic, but it was it was an opportunity for me to put a lot of my skills together from the past and and walk into Hasbro to run their consumer products division. So it was the timing was everything, and timing really is everything. Timing and luck. Yeah, no, it, it really can be, and and yet, but you you chose to leave electively, and so did Hasbro find you? Uh, did they reach out to you, or did you find them? How did that happen? Yeah, they reached out to me. I got called by a recruiter who said, "Here's an opportunity with Hasbro." Um, you know, at the time, I I didn't know a ton about Hasbro. I knew that they were a partner of 
or had been partners of the Walt Disney Company and they were in the toy and game business. But I really didn't appreciate at the time just how ambitious their plan was. And this was 10 years ago, which mm. has really been put into business. It has been put into place since. But in some ways, it was a great lesson in open the door. Just go and have a go and have a conversation. You've got nothing to lose. Right, right. And so here it is a decade later and it seems to be working out for you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Hasbro is a terrific company. It's, um, you know, I say that hand on heart. It has a incredible commercial passion, incredible leadership. But I also think, you know, as important, it's very paternalistic and extremely good to its people. And that's something from the top down. And, uh, you know, you can't you can't buy that. You know, Simon, you touched on one of the factors in your decision to uh, to move on to the next to your next chapter from Disney was uh, a strong desire for growth, knowledge, continuing to learn and development. And so um, I know that you you also after graduating long after University of Nottingham, uh, you actually attended uh, Harvard Business School. And so, you know, oftentimes when 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 individuals probably include myself in this category, you get comfortable in a certain career and you get going, the idea of stopping and then kind of re-educating yourself can be a little bit overwhelming. Uh, and so talk to me about that. Uh, what, what was your driving force behind uh, wanting to uh, continue to educate yourself as you're continuing to balance your career at the same time? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And look, one of my sort of my personal mantras, I guess, and I tell this to my team and people is to you know, you've, you've got to collect skills and acquire skills, not titles. And I think that's a, a really good way to think about life. It's what I tell my, my kids. Um, and to me, it's all about skills acquisition. And you never, ever stop. I don't care what level or how senior you are in an organization. The idea of being, of learning, of being contemporary, of having your finger on the pulse, uh, you know, it gets harder and harder to do that because things happen a lot quicker and faster. And particularly, you know, I, I sort of, I, I am kept in touch with things through my children a lot of the time with pop culture, right. which I have to do for my job. Um, but I think you can never, ever stop learning. And curiosity just, you know, in terms of a, a skill, and I think curiosity is a skill. It takes you places that opens more doors than it closes. I love it. I love it. Um, what's next for you? Uh, talk to me about your vision for the franchise because the Power Rangers franchise global, uh, my, my four-year-old son thanks you <laughs> for, for the franchise. Uh, but what, what do you want to do with it? Where are you going to take it? Well, you know, it, it, interestingly, it's been very successful in, in North America. And obviously, it's a, it's a global franchise. But actually, the rest of the world, and you know, I talk about the rest of the world being outside of the US, but really coming out of the UK always felt like the other way around. Mm. But the reality is it's a global franchise and we're gonna grow it um, dramatically in every market that we operate in. And that really is our goal. And I think overall, it's how do you tell all these new stories? Because we've told a story through television for the last 25 years, we've had a couple of movies, but there is such inherent wholesomeness to the power rangers franchise that i think sometimes people don't appreciate mm. you know they're a they're a team um they're a team who have to do things together to get stuff done they always do the right thing it's always good versus evil um it's just uh, when you dig into it you appreciate why kids and why parents ha have been into it and will continue to be into it so storytelling is the guide 
Well, you know, talking about storytelling, I've appreciated your story here. I mean, let's let's go back. We go back to the early '90s. You, you graduate from Nottingham. You you get into a career on the music side of the coin. Uh, HMV at the time, which was uh, which was a pretty prominent organization, long runway there. You then join one of the largest and most known organizations in the world from a brand perspective. You then achieve your dream of actually living and working in the States. You call it America. We call it the States. And uh, and then 10 years there. And then now you're with Hasbro uh, dominating with the Power Rangers franchise. And so it's, it's a pretty cool run. So congrats on what you've been able to create thus far. Thank you. Absolutely. It. You know, Simon, I always like to ask my guests on on the episodes, if somebody came to you looking for a piece of advice, and again, it doesn't matter to me if they are just getting their career started or if they're you know, at the tail end or right in the middle, what might you say? Any advice for anybody listening? Yeah, I, um, my father-in-law um, way back gave me a, a, a great piece of advice, which I've always followed. And it's very, very straightforward. It's, you know, if you want to make a decision about doing something, toss a coin. And if it's heads, try heads. And if heads doesn't work, try tails. And, you know, it sounds so obvious. But it's so simple. It is. And you just have to try it. And you just have to do it. And you just have to open the door. And if it's not the door you wanted, come back into the room, try a different door. If it is the door you wanted, great. And really what it is, it's a, it, the advice is about taking action. And as you know, particularly in sales and intention, you can think all day about doing something. Right. It's utterly meaningless until you actually do it. Pick up the phone, make a call, whatever it looks like. So to me, it was always, let's just go explore. Let's take that step. Well, I think that's sound advice. And on that note, I think it's a great way to wrap this one up. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us. No problem at all. Good. Lovely to talk to you. Absolutely, Simon. It was my pleasure. So thanks for being here. Uh, everybody, thanks for taking the time to listen. Remember that your intention matters because that's the result that you'll tend to get. We're out of here and we'll see you next week.